Good morning and welcome. If you are visiting with us, um, I don't know if Scott mentioned it earlier, but uh, after the service, if you'll head over to this welcome booth, we would love to get to know you better. Not on yet? You like it? Hello? Okay. If you are visiting with us, if you would come to the welcome booth area, someone will meet you there, and we will put a packet of information in your hands that tells you a little bit more about Crosspoint, and then also uh, we will get to know you a little better. And so um, if you haven't already done that, we would love uh, to meet you. We're going to start this morning like we do uh, almost every week in praying for another church, and we're going to pray for Ridgecrest Baptist Church, and uh, specifically the Crabtree family who experienced a great tragedy this week. And so if you would, with me, join in praying that Ridgecrest would enjoy uh, Jesus this morning through grief, enjoy who he is and his sovereignty, even through a very hard time, and pray for this Crabtree family with me before we get into um, our passage for the morning. Father, we lift up Ridgecrest to you this morning, and um, so encouraged by their leadership and what you're doing there and how salty and bright they are and have been. And we lift up them as they minister to the Crabtree family. Not having words, uh, or not feeling like they have the words at many times, I would assume, for what that family needs right now. I pray that you would um, fortify their leadership and fortify their shepherding with truth and wisdom as they walk with this family. And we just pray that you would allow the church to be salt and heal and uh, soothe and bring some relief to that family. And that we would be attentive to ways that we can come alongside them. We're grateful this morning that you were sent to us, that the Father sent you, Jesus to us to, to, to know life. And it's our prayer that we would remember this morning our commission to be the light of life for the community surrounding us and to the ends of the world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the elders have asked me to preach um, a couple of mission sermons. And uh, we'll do that this week and next week. Um, Typically, uh, the last few years, the spring has been our mission's emphasis, and we will be taking up an offering next week. Um, You may not have heard about that yet, but next week we're going to take up our international missions offering. It used to be, or it actually is called, Lottie Moon. We don't know that as Lottie Moon. That's a Christmas offering that most Baptist churches take up. We take that offering up in the spring, and that 100% of that offering will go to support the employees of the IMB who we partner with to send families overseas for church planning. One of our families is a part of that company, and you'll hear from them next week, Derek and Casey. And uh, they'll be able to share at the end of our uh, time together. Now, that's international missions. That's a specific offering that we take up this time of year for international missions. And my fear anytime I preach on missions is that when I say the word missions or mission, immediately many of our thoughts go to uh, that's something that other people do that don't live here. Or, or that's a special compartment, right? That's a special compartment for certain Christians do missions, and we're just the church here. 
And I hope that's not where you are this morning. And I hope that as we look at these passages this morning, especially in Matthew 5, nothing earth-shattering, complicated, but I believe foundational and fundamental for us to know that mission, the mission, is for each one of us. Each one of us has been sent. Each one of us has been commissioned by our Lord. And so missions is not this thing for somebody else. It's not this special compartment for those that are called to go overseas. But mission is what we're all on. And it's what we are all sent to be on. And so we're going to look at some passages this morning. Before we get to Matthew 5, if you want to turn to Matthew 5, that's the passage where Jesus is teaching on salt and light. You can go ahead and turn to Matthew 5. But I want us to consider this pattern of Jesus pulling those that follow him in close and then teaching them, encouraging them, and then taking them by the shoulders and turning them to go away. Bringing them in close, encouraging them and teaching them, and then taking them by the shoulders and giving them direction and purpose to move somewhere, to go out into the world. And so I want you to just see this real quickly in John 17, during that high priestly prayer that Scott read at the beginning. He says, Father, as you have sent me, I'm about to send them. He's talking about the disciples. I'm about to send them out. And then in, in John 20, right after the resurrection, this bunch that's been following him who is scared, wondering what's going to happen, a few of them not even believing that this really happened, they need to see his hands and his side and his feet. They need to see his scars. In John 20, in verse 21, or verse 20, he says, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. What Jesus is saying here is, I'm sending you away now. I'm about to leave, and you have direction and purpose. I'm giving you a specific direction and purpose with which to live out your life with, don't miss this, forgiveness on your tongue. Not a gospel that says there's an excuse for sin by way of forgiveness, but a gospel that says condemning sin but providing a way out in me. Condemning sin but providing a way out through forgiveness. So I'm going to send you into darkness. I'm going to send you into the world. You see Jesus pulling them in close, encouraging them, and then sending them out. To do what? To preach forgiveness. Specific direction specific purpose for all those that follow him. Now, let's look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16. Now, this is, again, where Jesus has retreated. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain... And when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. Okay? So he's, he's amongst this crowd of people, right? There's, there's people who are outside of the group that's following him. There's people that are 
interested in Jesus. They're mostly wondering what Jesus can do for them. Right? They are, they are interested in what's going on around Jesus. They're, they're wondering if this is for them. But primarily, really, they're just wanting to know what Jesus can do for them. And so Jesus leaves the crowd and pulls those that follow him up close to the mountain. And he preaches this Sermon on the Mount. And he goes through these Beatitudes, teaching them. Teaching them who they are and who they are to be. Encouraging them. Giving them knowledge. And then he comes, just like he did in John, right after the resurrection. He brings them close to teach them, and then he does something. Immediately after he teaches these Beatitudes, he takes them by the shoulder and turns them around. And says, I'm giving you direction, and I'm going to give you purpose. We're not up on this mountain for you just to get smarter. We're not up on this mountain so that you could just know me better. I've taught you now, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to turn you in a direction with some purpose. And I hope you see that. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. But on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus tells the disciples, you are two things here. This is how and what you're to be when you're sent. And he starts with salt. You are the salt of the earth. And this is important for you to catch the earth. That word being cosmos. Actually being dirt. Soil. Okay? He's not talking about you're going to be the salt of the church. You're going to be the salt of the Christian subculture. You're going to be the salt for the world. You are going to be a salt. You're going to have an effect. You will have an impact. You will have an influence out there. Do you see that? You'll have an impact and you will be something that will change and effect out there. Okay? In the world. In the dirt. He's giving them direction. This is where you will do this. This is where you will be this. You will be this in the earth. You will be this in the world. He says it's, if it loses its flavor, if salt loses its flavor, flavor, it's not good for anything. So that begs the question, what is salt good for? Right? What is salt good for? Salt is four things, three or four things anyway. It's distinctive. Salt stands out. It, you can tell when food has salt, and you can tell when food doesn't have salt, right? We can all, I mean, I love salt. I'm dealing with high blood pressure right now. I know how much I love salt, and I can tell how much I've had. And basically, the, the, um, the diet for those with high blood pressure, if it tastes good, you can't eat it. 
If it doesn't taste good, that's what you're supposed to eat. So salt is distinctive, right? It stands out. It makes things taste good. It is distinctive. It's also flavorful. Salt enhances the flavors of others. When you put other spices with salt, it brings out those flavors. So it makes other flavors and spices taste better. It's flavorful. It's beneficial. It enhances. Salt is preserving. In this day, they would be using salt to fend off decay. Without refrigeration, they would use salt to fend off decay. The rotting meat and applying salt can fend that off and hold that decay so that it's useful. And salt can be medicinal. It can soothe. It can heal. And um, just, just last night, I've, I am over 40, approaching 50, and I have pains and aches that I had never had before. And if you are over 40 and don't know the magic of Epsom salt, man, gets me through sometimes. Salt can heal and soothe. It has medicinal value. That's what salt is good for. And so what does that mean for us? Distinctive. Jesus says, you're the salt of the, you're the, salt of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're going to be distinctive. What does he mean by that? Why would, how would we be distinctive? And I think that he means that we would be distinctive and that we live respectable, honorable lives among outsiders. That we stand out. That we don't just live for ourselves, but that we're honorable in the way we treat others, in the way we move towards others. Right? This sounds very simple. I told you this is not complicated, but it's foundational to be on mission, is that we think about and we consider how we're treating those outside of the, outside of the church. We think about how we're treating them, how we're being honorable. I, I, I think of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. This is what it, it just sounds like Peter is saying here. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Doers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. So this isn't just about being a good person, but it's being a good person in light of the war that's waged in your soul. Letting others see that you're living in an honorable way, but it's not coming easy to you, but that you are waging a war against your own flesh in order to be honorable and respectful and affect others' lives with honor and respect. Very foundational. Right? We are a people that hate and fight sin and the flesh and run in repentance to Jesus every day, and others should see it. Not excusing sin because of grace, but we preach a gospel that condemns sin and provides a way out. And that message is heard among a people who are distinctive in how they live. We are not like the world, we do not yield. And are not directed and guided and led by the passions of the flesh. And the world sees it. Salty. Distinctive. We are flavorful. We are beneficial. Impacting. Dare I say, 
that we are beneficial to the community around us. Beneficial. When was the last time that we thought about? When was the last time we prayed about enhancing the world around us? Neighborhood, school, community. When, when was the last time that thought entered our head? That we would be enhancing the flavors of the world around us. That we would do things and think in a way and pray in a way that we, be careful with this, Brad, make the world a little better around us. Enhance, impact, influence, be beneficial. When was the last time we thought, I'm going to be salty. I'm going to enhance what's around me. Not looking for any result. Not reporting it back to the church. Not in hopes that this would somehow benefit my church if I'm salty. Do you hear me? Not, not so that it would benefit my church. That's not the thought. It's when was the last time we prayed, God, Give me opportunity to enhance what's around me, to make it better. Because I'm salty. That's it. Because you said I'm salty, and you've made me salty, and I don't want to lose my flavor. I want to make the world, the little world, and big world around me better. Enhance. Preserving and fending off decay. How do we fend off decay? Well, I think the easiest one is with the choices we make as Christian families, we fend off moral decay. When, when you made a decision as a businessman or in your work that has integrity and is not yielding to the passions of the world and the flesh, you are fending off moral decay when you have morals and you stand for them and make those decisions for your family and for your community. I think about those of you that work in the political area. You serve in a political way. You fend off decay when you make decisions that are good for the community that are also salty in light of God's word. You fend off decay when you're serving in that way. All week I've thought about, um, I don't know why, don't, don't be offended if I don't mention your job because you can be salty in every job, but I, I keep thinking all week about uh, those in the health profession First responders, mental health, medical, and teachers. Man, those two groups have a front row seat to decay. A front row seat to pain and suffering. A front row seat to people who are looking for relief. And you have an opportunity to be salty just in your job. How cool is that? Teachers, you have an array, an array of students who come into your classroom with a myriad of issues and pain and injustice that you get to speak into and you get to mold and you get to be salty in those situations. There's plenty of opportunity for us to be salty and to be a part of preserving, bringing healing, medicinal, bringing healing and soothing and bringing relief to people around us, get this, that don't go to your church that don't have a church, that have no clue about Jesus, and maybe you don't even know them that well. You and I have opportunity to be preserving and healing and bring relief and soothe 
as we are salt of the earth. We all have unique ways to bring relief and preserve. What good is it if it loses its saltiness? What good is it? The way that salt loses its usefulness in Jesus' day, during the, when he's using this illustration, is that something would come and wash the sodium chloride out of it. Something would wash the saltiness out. And so we must be careful that we do not let the world wash our saltiness out. The world is what will wash your saltiness away. And not being used, not being used is another warning that we'll look at here in a minute. But here, here's, the, here's the cool thing. Jesus doesn't just say, I want you to be salty people. You're going to be the salt of the earth. You're going to make a difference. You know? This could very easily sound like an inspirational, motivational speech where you're a difference maker, and I could sell a T-shirt with difference maker on it, right? And y'all would all buy a T-shirt and be inspired to make a difference, which wouldn't be a bad thing. But for the worshiper, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. And that's where this changes it, because he pairs it, not just with being a difference maker, not just with helping and affecting change and impact, but you're a difference maker with forgiveness on your tongue. You have a truth to speak that brings life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We have life. And so we're salty and, and we're light. And that's the big difference. Because without the light, without this truth, without forgiveness on our tongue, without being intentional to speak it, we're just a club of really nice folks, right? And I think anybody could be a difference maker. Anybody could be nice and learn to be nice. In fact, I met the nicest witch this week. You heard me right. I, I met the nicest witch this week. I texted Derek um, the number I had for him uh, from four years ago. I texted Derek, kind of giving him a rundown of the next two weeks and that I wanted him to share next week. I was talking about Jesus and our commission and missions and the church and you know all these words about what we're talking about today, about being salt and light and affecting change, and I, and I sent that to Derek, and I want you to talk next week about the nations, about God's heart for the nations, and, and saving them through Jesus, and uh, I sent that to Derek, his number he had five years ago, four or five years ago, and about 30 minutes later, I got uh, a text message back, and it said, um, I think you have the wrong number, I'm actually a witch, And so, she was the nicest witch. We had a little text communication there where she encouraged me. She wished me luck. And with the little, the little clover emoji, I wish you luck. And she encouraged me to um, trust the moon phases and seek the moon phases and stars but she was, it was a nice exchange. She was kind, encouraging, friendly. 
But she had, she wanted me to look to the moon. And that's the difference for us. Even a witch can be nice. Even a witch can encourage. But we are salt paired with light. We affect change because we have the only life on our tongue. We have the only life-giving knowledge that we speak. We are salt and we are light. Now, here's the thing. There's no light in us inherently. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Now you're going to be the light of the world. And interesting enough that the witch mentioned the moon, that's what the moon does. The moon has no light in itself. It only reflects the light of the sun. And so we must be careful not to move in arrogance, right? We have a light that's reflected through us. It's not in us. And he's chosen and told us, you're going to be salt. You're going to be light. You're going to be my light. I'm the light of the world. Now you're going to be the light of the world. I'm going back to the Father. Now I'm sending you out. I was sent to be the light of the world. I'm going back to the Father. Now I'm taking you by the shoulders and I'm turning you, which direction? To the world. Light heads towards darkness. Light pierces darkness. That's when it's useful. It opens up darkness. And that's our commission from Jesus. That's the direction and the purpose that he's given us. That's the direction and purpose that he's given us. To live sent, to remember I'm sent with direction and purpose outside of myself, outside of my family, and outside of this gathering. He has drawn them near to turn them around. How humbling is it that he would choose us to be that light And really, Jesus is our ultimate model. I want you to turn to Matthew 9. This is the illustration, ultimately, for what Jesus has called us to be and what he's calling his disciples to be. He models models this for us perfectly. We're going to look specifically at at the end of chapter 9. But I want you to look at this first, in the first few verses of chapter 9, and then we'll move to the end. But Jesus is, he's he's being real salty. He's moving amongst the cities and villages. He's healing people. He's um, restoring sight to the blind. He's raised a little girl from the dead. But he starts with healing this paralytic man. Now, I I want you to see this. I don't want you to rush past this. I want you to see how he is being salty and light. This is the ultimate thing. Now, these people, remember, these people are coming to him and finding him. And they're not that concerned about who he is. They're not coming to get um, more theology. They're not coming to establish more knowledge about the glory of God. They're not actually coming so they can be better Christians. These people are coming to him because they're hurting. And they've been dealt a situation that they don't know what to do with. They need some help. They need some relief. They need healing. And they need some answers. They may not know it, but they need some answers. And so I want you to see, Jesus does not call you and me to affect change, bring relief, bring healing, 
Look for places that are hurting. He does not call us to do that when he hasn't already done it. And then he speaks light and life. Forgiveness of sins is on his tongue. Look at the first verse of chapter 9. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Well, okay, I'm still paralyzed. Thank you, Jesus. Well, the the scribes and Pharisees that see it, they say, Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Whoa. See, Jesus does something crazy here. He flips light and salt. He's light. He says, Your sins are forgiven. That's light. That's the light of life. No one else can say that. He gives this man life by saying your sins are forgiven. And he goes with light first. And they say, that's what? That's not helpful. And then Jesus flips it on. And then he goes, you know what? I'm going to do both. Rise and walk. Salt and light. Never apart, but together. Do you see this? You think it's easier to say his sins are forgiven then just say, right, that's why you came to me. You just wanted to see him healed. But I'm telling you there's something more, and that's how we move towards the world. Meeting needs saying, I've got answers, though. I've got real answers for your hurt. I've got real answers. I, I've got life. I hold the light of life. And so as we're salty, we speak forgiveness of sins. Not excusing sin, but condemning it and then providing a way out for folks. Salt and light. Look at the last few verses of this chapter. 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now listen, these are the folks that he knows are not really there for him. They're just interested and they're just hurting. And what does he say about them? He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest do you see salt and light happening here where Jesus is healing them and meeting their needs because he has compassion on them but he also is the answer for them And they go together. Salt and light. Compassion for those without a shepherd. Do you you view, do you look at the world and those that are unbelieving, those that scoff at your faith, those that scoff at going to church, do you look at them with compassion? The people who don't even think they need anything, 
in your neighborhood? Do you have compassion? Do you think and pray about ways you can meet needs and speak truth, life-giving forgiveness? You and I have been sent to do that. Pastors and preachers like me have not cornered the market on speaking the gospel to people. You have been commissioned to be salt and light. I, uh, the teacher and the, the old coach in me really wants to give you like, here's five ways to be salty this week. But I don't think that would be helpful. And here's why. Number one, I think we would all grab the least common denominator and go, well, I did my salty thing and I checked it. Brad, hey, the preacher said there was five, five ways to be salty and I did two of them. I'm pretty good. I don't want to do that. And I also don't want to do that because I don't want us to do this. I don't want us to make an idol out of saltiness. Don't make an idol out of doing great things for your community. Don't make an idol out of trying to be the most salty guy. And don't make an idol out of the programs. Then we can all of a sudden, we need a program for being salty. We need a program for saltiness. And then the next thing you know, we get hung up in the program and we start worshiping the program. We can't be salty without the program, right? So I don't want to do that. I want us to remember that we're salt and light and pray in that direction and be obedient to the commission that he's given us and trust that it'll play out. But here's the other thing. Here's the other ditch. That's the one ditch. We worship being salty. We worship salty programs, right? The other ditch is that we're not salty at all outside of here. I, 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 I don't want us to make an idol out of this. You see what I'm saying? I without mission, without this mission, without this idea, without this commissioning that we have to be salt and light out there, we can very easily make an idol of what's going on right here, right? Because I'm getting some good stuff, and we're, it's encouraging, and um, I'm reminded of life-giving truths, and man, this is, I like this. And we can make an idol out of this and refuse to be salty out there. Scotty Smith is a, a pastor and author that I've read a couple of his books and follow him and his blog, and um, this week <clears throat> he has a a book called Every Season Prayers. And this was his prayer for this week that he had posted on his blog. And I thought it was fitting. So I'm just going to read his prayer. If you'll listen closely. Uh, this is his prayer regarding being salty. The church belongs to you, Jesus. Your beloved bride. You have called and commissioned us to live as salt of the earth. We are not garlic paprika, or sugar. Salt preserves and fends off decay. Salt heals and even soothes with medicinal value. Salt brings flavor and enhances the flavors of others. Salt only works when it's out of the salt shaker. Yet as with everything else, we can often take the church into the idle factory of our heart an attempt to retool it to be an ingrown club for our own satisfaction. Forgive us, Jesus. So, I don't have five ways to be salty this week for you. 
I think you have the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I think you have a commission. And I trust him with it. My only prayer is that, my only guidance if I have any this morning is, where do we start? And I think we start in Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Let's pray for compassion, and let's start there. Just a little bit of compassion for what's going on around us. A little bit of compassion for those who don't have the light of life. And I think that's where our saltiness will begin. Let's pray. Father, it's humbling that you would call us and commission us to such an amazing task that you would use us for this. Um, I pray that you would turn us and transform us into people who have an impact and influence and are sharing forgiveness of sins and are sharing the light of light with others. And that we would not be hold up in the salt shaker. I pray that you would convict us and lead us by your spirit on when to move and when to provide healing and meeting needs. And we trust that you will do that as we're obedient and available. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. For our supper time, I want to read um, a little bit more expanded of what Scott read this morning to start the morning off. I want you to hear Jesus' prayer for us. As we come here again, right, we're just like Jesus. He pulled them aside after the resurrection. He taught them. He encouraged them. He sent them out. He retreats to the mountain. He pulls them in. He teaches them. And then what does he do? He sends them out, salt and light. And each week, each week we are here, we are drawn near to him, right? We're drawn near to him at this communion. We're drawn near to him in order to be sent out. We enjoy the light of of life, And I want you to hear how he has prayed for us. This is in his prayer. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into this world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. And that they also may be sanctified in truth. And so what we're doing in a, in a small measure is that we are being an answer to his prayer this morning. When we take this supper, sanctified, enjoying the light of life, life, repenting once again, and being sanctified. We're, we're an answer to his prayer as we're being sanctified in this communion. And we're an answer to his prayer when we go out of here. And we're salt and light. Let's distribute the elements.